Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The primary text for today, the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, is the epistle lesson from 2 Thessalonians 3. The title of the sermon, May the Lord Direct Your Hearts, is drawn from verse 5 of this Bible reading. Now, former President Ronald Reagan, he was kind of known for his, his quips and one-liners, and one of the, the things that he said one time was, they, he said, they say hard work never killed anyone, but I figured, why take the chance? Well, that was a pretty good one. Well, in section of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians that we heard earlier, there is a clear message about work, and it's not hard work, why take the chance? It's a clear focus on work and what that means for the Christian. Put simply, the message there is that Christians are to be workers. We are not to be lazy. We are not to expect other people to work for us while we sit around and just benefit from the fruits of their labors. One of those so-called deadly, seven deadly sins, one of those is sloth, which is laziness. Some people do like to work more than others, but we are all supposed to work. We are not to be workaholics to the point where we neglect other important things that we need to be doing, where we're not caring for our bodies, but we're certainly not supposed to be laying around not doing anything either, right? Why? Well, when you think about it, God is a worker. God is a working God. God is always doing something. Naturally, then, as his people, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to do as God, to be imitators of Christ. So if God is a worker, we are also supposed to be workers as well. We talked about this a little bit in a Bible study that I did on Heaven a couple years ago on Wednesday night. And I think some people in the class were a little distressed to learn that I said, well, you know, when we get to Heaven, we're most likely going to be doing some kind of work. You're not just like laying on the beach for eternity with a little drink and an umbrella in your hand. You'll probably be doing some type of work. Work's not bad. Work is not our enemy. Now, sure, there's unpleasant parts of work, right? That we don't like. But none of those unpleasant things about work will be present in heaven. Because when you think about it, I think just about everybody, I imagine just everybody here, but most people, we do find satisfaction in a job well done. When you've been given a task and you do it, you're like, man, I nailed that, or I built that and it was so great, that gives us a sense of satisfaction, doesn't it? Now, once in a while, you meet that person who tells you this, I've never worked a day in my life. And what they mean when they say that is that they were able to earn a living doing something they enjoyed. It didn't really feel unpleasant to them. So I think that's how the work will be in heaven. We won't really feel like we're working, you know, slaving away. It will be pleasant, fulfilling things. There won't be any fatigue. There won't be bad bosses or bad employees. And certainly none of those useless meetings you're looking at your watch and thinking, when is this thing over? So obviously there was a problem with people that were not working in Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki as it is called in Greek, or else it wouldn't have been addressed here. 
And actually, we see that pattern throughout Paul's epistles, don't we? Paul goes in and he plants a church, and then he leaves to go somewhere else, and then the Christians in the church he planted start behaving badly. And then he has to write a letter to them saying, well, no, you're not really supposed to be doing this. This is what you're supposed to be doing or believing theologically. That's the pattern. And in typical Paul style, he takes the issue head on. You know, we learn about Martin Luther in Sunday school, he would do that. But Paul usually doesn't beat around the bush. He gets right to the issue and says, no, this is where you're wrong. This is, this is where you're going wrong. This is what you need to be doing. And in verse 6, he tells the local church there this. He says, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now that's pretty strong, isn't it? The Greek there actually can be translated, that, where uh, it's translated as keep away, could be disassociate from this type of person. These, are, these layabouts are a stain on the church. They are hurting the body of Christ itself, and they are certainly a poor witness to the world, indeed. Christians are not to be lazy people. Even to the point that if church discipline needs to be applied, Paul is saying the faithful need to keep away from these people, lest they tarnish the name of Christ, and they suck others into their patterns of laziness. Now, always keep in mind when you talk about church discipline, though, the goal of church discipline is to bring about repentance, to take a measure to get someone's attention so that they will repent. Now, let's jump ahead to verse 11, though. Look at verse 11. For we hear that some about you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. I love that. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Be busy, not a busy body. That sounds like a good proverb there. There are people that are busy bodies. Now what I mean by this is there are people, they always are into something. They always are ready and willing to pass along the latest bit of gossip, and they are always stirring up drama. You know, some people just thrive on that. If everything's going well and it's calm, we got to stir something up here, right? But do you ever notice that a lot of times those people that are busybodies stirring up all these things, they're people that don't really have a whole lot going on in their life. They've got plenty of time to mix it up that, that because they're not busy doing other stuff. And in fact, if you look at statistics and you, they, you know, if they take an unemployment rate in certain areas and if an area has a high unemployment rate where they have able-bodied people who are not working, guess what? That's probably the part of town when there's the most vice and the most crime. Because people have lots of time on their hands. And you know the old saying, idle hands are a devil's workshop? There's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. When you're busy doing productive things, you don't have time to get into trouble. You don't have time to sit around and think up ways that you can make other people's lives miserable. A church also can have these problems too. There can be people who do not have productive things in their life, so they try to stir things up in the church. So what does the church need to do? The church needs to be focused on what our mission is. And if we are focused on the mission of the church, rather than frivolous things, well, then there's less time for all those other things. The great 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the church should be a hive of worker bees. The church should be a hive of worker bees. There should be 
productive activity going on in the church. And good leaders, good leaders lead by example. A pastor who is lazy and is quick to spread tidbits about other members, well, they shouldn't be that surprised when their congregation does the same thing. The Apostle Paul led by example. What does he do here in the text? He harkens back to when he and his missionary companions planted the church at Thessalonica. Verses 7 and 8. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day. You see, Paul and his missionary band did not show up somewhere and say, hey, we're the big shots, give us everything we want, support us while we take leisure. No. When they came in, they worked hard. They led by example. They didn't expect handouts. Paul not only supported his ministry by, by donations, but he had a trade. He was a tent maker that he continued that trade during his ministry. One who works sets an example. If you are someone who has been given authority over employees and you want those employees to work, guess what? You've got to work hard yourself. You've got to show them that you are working hard. To set the example. If you're a parent and you want your kids to be hard workers, guess what? They need to see you working hard as well. Then that will lead them into working themselves as you set the example. Verse 10. Verse 10 sets forth an important principle. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. In layman's terms, if you expect to get food, be ready to work. Now, from our beginnings, Americans have been known as a hardworking people. Now, this has become known as what we call the Protestant work ethic. This verse is sometimes called the golden rule of work. In fact, maybe as Americans, we work too hard sometimes. Uh, it's evidenced by the fact they've done all these surveys and a lot of people in America do not even take their vacation days that they are allotted from their work because they don't feel like they can stop working even for a few days. Or if they go on vacation now with computers and cell phones, they just take their work with them on vacation. Can we go to the beach, Daddy? No, i got to answer all these emails before we go out. Probably guilty of both of those things myself, not taking days off and bringing things along with me. But the, the first permanent English settlement in what would become the United States was Jamestown, Virginia, 1607. Now, many of the first settlers that came there, they were of lesser British nobility. So a lot of these people were accustomed, not accustomed to doing hard physical labor. These were lesser nobility. What they came to Virginia to do was to do what? They wanted to get rich. And they had seen the Spanish and others come back with all this gold, so they spent all their time looking for gold, the early folks in Jamestown. And as you probably know, there's not a whole lot of gold in coastal Virginia. It wasn't a very fruitful exercise for them. But they would spend all their time looking for gold. And then what happened? Kind of like I was talking with the children, things like building proper structures for shelter, of planting and harvesting crops, those things weren't happening. So then what happened? A lot of the early people that came to Jamestown died because they spent all their time pursuing wealth 
rather than working. Well, a guy then showed up named Captain John Smith. And Captain John Smith took charge. And Captain John Smith instituted a rule in his colony, and he based that rule directly on the Bible. And guess what rule it was? 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He told everybody, if you're not going to work, you're not going to eat. You're not going to get any of the food rations if you don't work. I don't care how important you think you are, who your daddy and mama is, you're working here if you want to eat. Now the colony would not only survive, but it would eventually thrive. They just needed kind of a kick in the seat of the pants to get going and do the things they needed to do. Now let me tell you what the verse is not saying, though. The verse is not saying that Christians are to only work and never do anything else. Again, as I talked about with the children, God did institute the Sabbath, which is a day of rest. God knew that we needed leisure time and rest. As I've already said, many Christians, we are prone to going the workaholic direction. We need to say, okay, slow down a little bit. What else is the verse not saying? The verse is not saying that we should have no compassion for the poor. Because, again, taking the Bible as a whole, St. Paul he writes these words here, you shall not work, you shall not eat. He writes that as someone who cares very much for the poor. And you see in his writings that's reflected. He says the church should be caring for the poor. He even raises money for people in need when there's a famine going on to help people. So he's not writing this as some hard-hearted person. Paul or God is not advocating a cutthroat survival of the fittest where you have to earn and do everything for yourself, and if you can't, that's just too bad. Because we know that some people can obviously not work to support themselves, right? I'm talking about the very young, the very, the very old, orphans, widows, especially at that time, people who have a disability where they cannot use their minds or bodies. What it is speaking against is those people who are able-bodied, and they simply choose to not work. There's nothing wrong with them. There's a reason they can't contribute to this, but they just say, I'm not going to work. What they would rather do is leech off the people who are working and not do anything themselves. They arrogantly think that they are above working, that the world owes them something. Man, if you haven't encountered that attitude yet, you will, right? This is not how a Christian should behave. Now why? Why were some of the people in Thessalonica that claimed to be Christians not working? I mean, why is this even a problem? Well, there's a couple probable reasons why. First of all, Christians are generally generous and compassionate people. We are. Some exceptions, but generally we are. And this is also bared out by research that they've done. And did you know that in the United States... If you are a regular churchgoer, on average, you probably give a lot more of your time and money to charitable causes than secular folks do. Again, there's some very generous secular folks, but I'm just saying as a whole, if you attend church regularly, you're probably more likely to give your time and money to worthy causes. We're generally compassionate people. Why? We know the Bible tells us that we are supposed to take care of the widows, and the orphans. We are supposed to take care of those in need. Now, not all of them.
them, but many of the agencies that serve the poor and needy are Christian-based. I can think of some of them like the Salvation Army. You can see their things popping up already uh, soon if you haven't already. Down in Athens, there's a ministry called the Ark that helps people in need. There's another ministry called the Mercy Health Clinic, which provides uh, free health care for people. It's Christian-based. Then there are things like Samaritan's Purse that we're supporting, Redeeming Life Outreach Ministries down in Florida and other crisis pregnancy centers that for no cost to the women in need assist them in times of crisis pregnancy and works to save life in and outside of the womb. All these organizations are Christian-based. You could probably go on and on with that list. Sure. There are going to be some people who take advantage of the generosity of God's people, and they will readily come with a handout, expecting to not do anything themselves. Likely there were those in Thessalonica that were doing this. They're saying, well, the church is generous, they're going to help me out, so why do anything? I'll just show up and they'll give me the food and stuff that I need. I don't have to work. Another reason why this was likely going on is that the books of First and Second Thessalonians talk about the last day, the return of Christ. And, and these readings at the end of the church year, the beginning of the church year, often focus on that. I mean, you heard that gospel lesson for today, right? And so what it was happening, historians have documented in the first century, the early Christians, there were some Christians, they quit doing anything. Why? Because they thought Jesus was going to come back at any minute. So why work, <laughs> right? Why work? I'm just going to sit here and wait for Jesus to come back. Some people wouldn't even start families. Well, if the world's going to end, why do I want to marry and have kids? So they weren't making an effort. They were just going to sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. Now we have to understand, yes, Jesus could come back at any moment. But we are not supposed to be idle in the meantime. In short, we should be prepared that he could return at any moment. But we need to work like he's going to tarry. I'm not going to pack up any of the boxes in my office to move because Jesus will return first. Well, maybe he will. But I need to be prepared that if he doesn't return, my stuff's packed up and ready to go, right? So what is the answer? What is the answer to the problem of people not working? Well, you know, we can look at that politically and all that, but that's for the, the political side of the debate. But we've already stated the accusatory finger pointed at someone doesn't usually work. We have to lead by example, as St. Paul and Jesus did. If we want to give to worthy causes, that is a well and good thing to do. Even realizing that, you know what? I put some money in the Salvation Army kettle, and are some people probably going to take advantage of that? Yeah, they are. But you know what? I'm still going to give it. Because there are going to be people that are helped by that. And many of them will generally appreciate it. So that leads us into today. Today is Stewardship Sunday, the most dreaded Sunday on the church year, right? Nobody likes to come here to Stewardship Sermon. Y'all are here today. It's good. But in a few minutes, you will be given an opportunity to make a pledge as to what you would give to the Lord's work to our congregation of Christ the King Lutheran Church. And I understand some people don't like a pledge. I, I get that. You don't have to. But it's, it's something that keeps some of us disciplined. We make a commitment and we say we're going to do that. Well, you should not abstain from giving or being stingy and giving to the work of the church because the church doesn't spend every dollar the way you want it to. 
Because I can promise you this, if everybody said that, guess what? No churches anywhere would have any money, okay? They would not. Now, yes, the congregation has a responsibility to be good stewards of the funds that you give to the church. That is a proper expectation. And I can tell you, we're, we're pretty conservative with how we spend money around here. So I don't think you have to worry about that much. But each individual cannot expect the money to be spent or saved exactly the way they want it. God expects us to work. And we are to joyfully return a portion of the fruits of those labors to him. It's all his anyway. He's asking us to just return a portion of something he's already given to us anyway. That goes for our time and talents too. It's not just about money. But pastor, you really have dodged the question. You haven't answered the question yet. What is the answer to the problem of people not working? What is it? Well, the answer is really the answer for everything where we need a transformation. And this is the gospel. Now, that's a good Lutheran answer, right? You can't go wrong with that. What's the answer? The gospel. Yes, yes. We all nod our heads. But that takes us back to the title of the sermon, which is drawn from verse 5. I want you to hear that verse from God's word again. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. As you know, we cannot change our hearts. We can't change our hearts. Sure, we may be able to change some of our outward behaviors. We can either do that by motivations of a fear of punishment or a desire to get a reward. We can do that, but we can't change our hearts. Only God can change a heart. And he does that by drawing a heart to him. And that is done by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. And when we are hit by the gospel, what happens is it changes us. And what is the result? The love of God indwells us and it flows out of us. We focus on the steadfastness of Christ, not our own sandy and shifty and sometimes lazy foundation, but on the rock-solid, steadfast foundation of Christ. Because Jesus is the loving heartbeat of the church. He is the center of it all. If it's not about Jesus, we're missing the whole point. We are sinners. And at times, yes, we are lazy but Jesus never sinned. God never lays around and does nothing. He is upholding his creation by his powerful hand. The perfect son of God died for us. He rose from the dead for us. And he and the father sent the Holy Spirit to us to deliver us salvation, to direct our hearts towards him. How much money should I give? How much money should I give? Meditate on how good God has been to you and what he has done for you. And then think about that verse again. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. I'm not going to give you a number. I'm not going to give you a percentage and say you got to do this or else. Just think about that verse and guess what? You're going to have your answer of how much you should give. But how shall I serve? How should I work? How should I witness to those who need to be delivered from wickedness? Prayerfully consider. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, and you will have your answer to those questions. Just as our epistle lesson opened with words that I will conclude the sermon with today. Finally, brothers, 
pray for us, that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored as it happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. The peace of God passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.